Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi there, my lovely listeners. Welcome back to the Art Curious Podcast, where we explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. If you've listened to our last episode, then you'll know that this season of the podcast is a little different, because instead of our usual spate of new episodes, I am taking a little bit of much-needed time off to research a new book. Yay! And so I wanted to share some slightly zhuzhed-up renditions of eight of my favorite segments from my audio course, Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe. Breaking Barriers is a 21-day course, meaning that you essentially get a mini-episode of Art Curious every day for three weeks straight, and you get the unique opportunity to learn about some artists that you may never have heard of before, and they are likely to blow your mind, or these artists might become your next new favorites, as many of them were for me. So this is three weeks with every day featuring a story of a new Renaissance painter, sculptor, miniature maker, everyone from Sofonisba Anguissola to Marietta Robusti and lesser known artists like Plautina Nelli and Lavina Tierlink. This course will lead you through the lives and careers of groundbreaking women who've made their marks on art history. This evergreen course is all about learning for fun. So there are no tests, no papers, and no quizzes. It's just cool content that you can access on your own time and learn at your own pace. You can register for free and start learning today at avid.fm Jennifer. In the meantime, here is one of my favorite segments from Breaking Barriers. And today's episode is all about an artist who was totally new to me and now whom I completely love. Enjoy. A lot of big-name Renaissance artists, as we know from past episodes of Art Curious, often get slimmed down to a single moniker. And some of the time, we call these artists by their first names, not their surnames. So that means we've got Michelangelo instead of Michelangelo Buonarroti. We've got Titian instead of Tiziano Vicello. What's cool is that today's subject got her own name pared down in her own time, too. But in her case, she was just referred to via her last name. Fede Galizia became known during her lifetime simply by the moniker Galizia. And one wonders if this was because it was an easier handle for her to use, or if it was just a convenient way of hiding her gender, as many had done before and would continue to do for many years after. Just think of the famed French author Georges Sand, who adopted a male pseudonym instead of publishing under her given name, Amentine Lucille Aurore Dupin. Another theory that I love is that the name Galizia allowed Fede Galizia an opportunity to work under her father, who was himself an artist. But we're getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit. Fede Galizia was born in Milan, Italy, to her father, Nuncio Galizia, who was a painter of miniatures. And we don't know anything about who her mother was, sadly. And that right there is an interesting problem with many of the female artists from this time period. 
we are lacking a lot of basic information about their lives, either because records don't survive or have not yet been found that indicate these pertinent details, such as her mother's name, or even Fede Galizia's birth date. Art historians have thus had to use their best estimates to determine Galizia's year of birth, which was probably around 1578 or so. As we've come to expect of many women who grew up to become esteemed artists, Fede Galizia was most likely introduced to art making by her father. And while the details of her childhood are, for the most part, absent, we do know that she was considered a child prodigy, being incredibly skilled in painting and grabbing enough attention in Milan that, by the age of 12, a fellow painter and art theorist turned historian named Gian Paolo Lomazzo began trumpeting her talents, writing, quote, this girl dedicates herself to imitate the most extraordinary of our art." Unquote. Galizia's success can be chalked up, first and foremost, to her hard work and talent. But there are a few other factors that I don't want to miss here. The first is, naturally, that training that her father provided. Second, and related, is that by the time Galizia was born in the 1570s, the precedent for an accomplished and well-trained female artist had already been set and was no longer considered a complete anomaly. So just think of Sofinisba Anguissola here, whom we discussed a few episodes back. By the 1570s, Sofinisba Anguissola's career had already been very well established, having already made her mark in her native Italy before moving on to the Spanish court. Sofinisba's hometown of Cremona is only separated by Milan, Galizia's hometown, by about 50 miles. And even without phones, cars, trains, or the like, news of Sofinisba's achievements most certainly reached Milan. And it might be assumed that Nuncio, Galizia's father, was inspired by the Anguissola family's educational and career goals. All of this may have provided him with extra incentive to train his daughter for an artistic career. And it obviously worked. Before she was scarcely out of her teens, Fede Galizia was already receiving numerous commissions and had garnered an international reputation. At the outset, she truly earned her stripes as a portraitist, and one of the reasons that historians suspect that she was so successful and sought after was actually due to the fact that she trained with a miniaturist, her father. In creating such tiny pieces, miniaturists, as you might imagine, must be super attentive to detail, making every single swipe of their minuscule paintbrushes a meaningful and important one. So it makes absolute sense to see that Galizia's works were equally attentive to detail and that this made all of the difference in her works, as well as their acceptance. Take one of her most acclaimed pieces, her Judith with the Head of Holofernes, which is now in the Ringling Museum in Sarasota, Florida. While not as violent and bloodily arresting as her Roman counterpart, Artemisia Gentileschi's take would be, so see Art Curious episode number 42 for the download on that incredible work, Galizia's image is still absolutely stunning in its detail. Consider, first of all, Judith's diadem, her pearl-encrusted headdress accompanied by a velvety black fabric that drapes down her back, framing her head with her delicately pinned ringlets and her creamy white neck. As a viewer, I almost don't want to look at anything else, not even the grotesque gray head of dead Holofernes. Maybe especially not the grotesque gray head of Holofernes. Judith, in her fine gems and in a gold and blue brocade dress, is just incredibly beautiful in her lavishness. 
No wonder Fede Galizia was popular as a portraitist. People wanted that kind of attention to detail for their commissions, and Galizia was more than able to deliver. And, by the way, she was so proud of her Judith that she signed and dated the work across the blade of Judith's sword. I'll put an image of this on my blog post for today's episode, which is linked in the show notes on your podcast app. Fede Galizia had no children and was never married, which meant that she was able to devote her whole life to art. And because of this, she worked in almost every format and doing practically any commission that could be lobbed at a Renaissance artist. Portraits, religious devotional images, small personal works, and large-scale altarpieces. You name it, Galizia did it. And she did it well. These all have their places in the artist's oeuvre, but something very interesting happened for Galizia as she grew older and became more established. She started to feel far more interested in still-life painting than almost anything else. When we come back, we will get to the nuts and bolts of how and why Fede Galizia was introduced to the world of still-life painting. So thank you for supporting our show by listening to our advertisers today. I work in the visual arts, so I know a thing or two about being creative. But if you're working for yourself, it's also time to get creative to make your mark in the world. Whether you're an independent creator like me or you're working as part of a team, you can make your business stand out from the rest with Issue. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials and magazines to catalogs, portfolios, and more. So there's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy-to-view way on every device. You make it once, and you can distribute it everywhere without reformatting an Instagram post for Twitter or whatever your platform may be. Your content is automatically optimized for engagement and ready to share. Issue works seamlessly with the other tools that you probably already use and love, like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. And you can start using Issue for free. Try it out and explore premium features that offer a customized experience. You can get started with Issue today for free or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50, that's 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code ARTCURIOUS. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code ARTCURIOUS at checkout for your free starter account or 50% off an annual premium account. Issue dot com slash podcast code ARTCURIOUS. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. In the past, sometimes it's been really easy for me to focus on the negative side of things instead of the positive side of things. I always got stuck focusing on the problems in my life instead of thinking about possible solutions to the problems. It can be tough to stay in problem-solving mode when we are faced with a huge challenge in life. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. And a therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier for you to accomplish your goals in the future and in the present, no matter how big or small. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a wonderful option because it's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. And you can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time for any reason. I have enjoyed therapy in the past, including therapy with BetterHelp. 
and it really inspired me because I was able to learn ways to help with emotional healing and stress overload all on my own based on tips and tricks that my therapist was able to help me with. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com artcurious today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com artcurious. The Barnes is home to one of the world's great art collections and has been a leader in education for 100 years. Online art history classes are taught by an expert group of international art historians, curators, conservators, and practicing artists, and cover a diverse range of topics spanning history and cultures. New topics and classes are enrolling monthly. You can focus in on Matisse in the 1930s, learn to see music while hearing art, or get up close to Modigliani with a team of curators and conservators who have shed new light on his works, and so much more. No art background is required, and you can increase your art knowledge while also strengthening your ability to look closely and think critically. For a limited time, get 10% off your first Barnes class when you visit barnesfoundation.org newstudent. The Barnes. Feed your mind. When you're hiring, you're supposed to leave no stone unturned. But how do you really do that? Partner with one powerful stone turner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. I've said it before and I will say it again, but I love Indeed's virtual interviews. With virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time because you can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. There is no need to install anything extra because Indeed's virtual interview tool works from your browser. And anything that helps make your life easier during hiring, that is always a great thing. So join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar and every moment count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in their database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com art to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com art, indeed.com art. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you're among them, know you're not alone and that there's a solution that you can trust to deliver results. Millions of Americans experience thinning hair, and it's more than common, it's normal, but it's not openly talked about, especially amongst women. So it's time to change the conversation and join the thousands of women who are standing up for their strands with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. 
Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism through whole body health. Each formula uses natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistently effective doses so that you get the most reliable results. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth over six months. 3,000-plus top doctors and stylists recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. So you can have thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code ART to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code ART. Welcome back to Art Curious. Now, a brief explainer of the term still life for those of you who are new to the art world. A still life is a term we art historians use to describe a scene that's basically a showcase of inanimate objects, like a bowl of fruit or a bouquet of flowers. You have most definitely come across one, or thousands of them, if you've ever visited an art museum, especially one that houses art from before the modern era. According to historian Sam Siegel, who wrote a pioneering article in the Burlington Magazine on Fede Galizia, 63 works have been catalogued or attributed to Galizia by the late 1990s, and 44 of those were still-life paintings. Now, that is an incredible number because that equals to more than two-thirds of her surviving works. Now, I can practically hear you saying, so what? Why should I care about some boring paintings of fruit? But they are actually super fascinating because of what it means for Fede Galizia as an historical painter. But, as always, we need a little backstory here. At the beginning of the Renaissance, there was this almost obsessive theoretical need to prove that painting was somehow a nobler and greater art form than sculpture or architecture. And lots of Renaissance think pieces were done to extol the significance of painting. As painting eventually took hold as the number one art form, the need to declare the best kinds of painting then took over. This is known as something called the hierarchy of painting, and it really started to become a big deal beginning in the 1600s. At that point, the number one type of painting was what would eventually be termed history painting, a term that would develop not only to mean paintings showing scenes from history, but also religious or mythological scenes. Eventually, as art history as a field was born and moved into prominence in the 19th century, everything became so codified that painting, from its most important to its least important genres, and I'm saying most and least important in air quotes, by the way, would read something like this. We have history painting at the top, followed then by portraiture, then genre painting, which are essentially little vignettes of daily life. And then rounding out the bottom three of importance were landscapes, animal paintings, and, you guessed it, the humble still life. For me, this actually explains why Fede Galizia hasn't received as much attention as other artists from the Renaissance, especially other women, because with so many still lifes making up her known output, many snobby art historians simply snubbed still lifes in general, and thus snubbed their artists like Galizia alongside them. In reality, still life wasn't actually a thing all that much in Italy during the Renaissance. And yet, 
Betty Galizia painted them over and over again, with works like A Crystal Fruit Stand with Peaches, Quinces, and Jasmine Flowers from 1607 and today held in a private collection, is so enticing that it's hard not to want to reach out and just grab a peach. And you can practically smell the heavenly scent emanating from the flowers. This is a small work, only a little bigger than about 12 by 16 inches, so the fruit is practically life-sized, with details so believable. Just go to my blog and check out that gentle sheen of reflected light gleaming off of that crystal fruit stand. It is stunning. But the image does beg me to question, how did Fede Galizia get interested in a genre of painting that was kind of considered uncool, or at least not yet popular, in Italy? It turns out there might have been a very specific person that brought still life to Galizia's attention. Beginning around 1595, the Flemish painter Jan Bruegel the Elder, not to be confused with his dad, Peter Bruegel the Elder, relocated to Milan to continue painting for his patron, Cardinal Federico Borromeo, who had become the Archbishop of Rome that year. Bruegel was known for painting these incredibly lush still lifes, though, like Galizia, he also painted a lot of other things too. In Northern Europe, Flanders especially, where Bruegel was based, as well as the neighboring country of Holland, our modern-day Netherlands, there had been this move away from religious and mythological themes in art, with a preference instead to those genre scenes I mentioned previously, and to paintings of everyday objects, like flowers, like bowls of fruit. In Northern Europe, that was considered all the rage. And Bruegel, upon his move to Milan, brought this trend with him. And with Bruegel in town, it is almost certain that Galizia was able to study his works close at hand, or at least to learn all about his amazing pieces and their subject matter. And this had a career-changing effect on Galizia. So much so that one of her earliest still-life paintings, from 1602, has been called the first known sign-and-dated still-life by an Italian artist. For a quick comparison, Caravaggio, the bad boy of Roman Baroque painting, made his first major still-life, which is a painting titled Basket of Fruit from around the year 1600, but he didn't date the work meaning he didn't write the date of its completion right there on the back of his panel or the front. So though Caravaggio, himself having been under the influence of Bruegel, may have technically created a still life in Italy first, it was Galizia who put an actual, verifiable date on that art historical calendar. She was, in actuality, a pioneer of still life painting in Italy long before almost anyone else decided to give it a try. There is another reason why Fede Galizia may have gravitated towards still-life painting, as women would, and in some ways still do. It's easy to access materials for them, for the most part. Think about Galizia's earliest still-lifes, like the crystal fruit stand mentioned previously, or cherries in a silver compote, a work from 1610, and also in a private collection today. These all feature fruit or flowers, which are objects that are easily gotten in local markets or even obliging fields or orchards. Artists don't have to hire models to do still lives, and women artists don't have to go to locations that might be seen as untoward or problematic to others. They didn't face stereotyping or brusque rejection for taking on lofty religious and historical subjects, which were often viewed as the purview, strictly, of male painters. Still life painting allowed women to experiment and explore, to try new styles and formats, and, like Galizia, also allowed them to play with different subject matter, 
all from the privacy of their own homes and studios. Still life allowed them freedom. For Galizia in particular, it was also a prime showcase for her to display her ability to create a balanced, beautiful, and sometimes lavish composition, all of which would have made her works highly prized for collectors. Even more so, it allowed her the time and space to develop her immense skills of light modeling and shading, as well as her depth of knowledge of the latest innovations and scientific discoveries in things like optics. Galizia was a tastemaker, and her works, fascinatingly, act as precursors to later modernist icons who adopted still-life paintings as their own. People like the French post-impressionist painter Paul Cezanne and the Italian painter Giorgio Morandi. Just as we don't know exactly when Fede Galizia was born, we also don't know exactly when Fede Galizia died. She probably passed away in 1630 around the age of 60 because she drafted her will in June of that year, when Italy was under the ravages of the plague. And it is assumed that it was indeed the plague that eventually ended her life. That, and the dismissal of still-life painting and of women as artists in particular, means that Galizia had, for the longest time, fallen by the wayside, becoming one of those forgotten figures in art history. Painting subjects and styles fall in and out of fashion all of the time, and artists sadly do too. But in 2019, something wonderful occurred. One of Fede Galizia's paintings, a still life of peaches and jasmine and featuring a beguiling little grasshopper in the corner, was sold at Sotheby's as part of a sale of works by women for a total of over $2 million. Now, this is no small change for an artist whose name is not widely known. And just this year, 2022, a recently rediscovered undated work titled Still Life with Apples, Pears, Figs, and Melon went on sale as part of an exhibition of still lives by women at Colnaghi Galleries in London. In art, as in life, attention follows the money, so I would put my personal dollars down that we will be seeing and hearing more about the life and work of Fede Galizia in the near future. Keep your fingers crossed. I so appreciate you taking the time to listen to Art Curious today. Thank you so much, and I hope you liked learning about Fede Galizia. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, she has truly become someone whom I've loved learning about, to be sure. As I also mentioned up at the top, it would mean the world to me if you would register for my course, Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe. It's on sale right now. You get 21 days of material to learn on your own time and at your own pace, and it's fun. Please register now at avid.fm slash Jennifer. I will be back with you again in two weeks to share another story from Breaking Barriers. Thank you again for supporting me while I research my next project. So stick with me and stay curious.